Good morning again, saints. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Well, we are considering God's wisdom uh, in our current series, and we are anchoring most of our thoughts in the book of Proverbs. So today we look at and consider the power and the impact of our words. The power and the impact of our words. Without raising your hand, I have two questions for you. How many of you have been crushed by something that someone spoke to you? For those of you who are kind of grown up in our adult years, how many of you have been crushed and those words have followed us into our adult years. They have formed how we think about ourselves. I suspect for most of us, well, I suspect that everyone's hand would go up. So now let's be on the, let's flip this to a positive thing. How many of you have had someone speak graciously to you? Encouraged complimented in a good way, comforted you, and you still remember that conversation. I suspect and I hope that most hands would go up in that circumstance as well. We are speaking to the power of our words, and we will begin this morning in the book of beginnings. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn or scroll to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. And this is what we read in verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Our focus this morning will be on that tree of life. We have references to it in Genesis. We don't know a whole lot about it. But I will say this, the tree of life, apparently, had life-giving properties, and it was designed to enhance and sustain life, to make life beautiful, for people to thrive, for people to thrive and flourish. So when we encounter the tree of life, The idea is there is a life-giving agent in our midst, and it sustains and beautifies life. Well, that's Genesis chapter 2. You might know, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, all the way through Revelation chapter 20, it is basically death and destruction and sorrow and heartache. And the plan of God, the work of God to redeem us from said heartache. 
It's good for us to know that the beginning two chapters and the ending two chapters are the only chapters dedicated to what life is like without the presence, the power, and the consequences of sin in a direct sense. So to build this notion of the tree of life, I now take you all the way to the end of your Bible, as we just said, to those last two chapters. Revelation chapter 22, which is indeed the last chapter in your Bible. Revelation chapter 21, the second to last chapter, informs us that God is making all things new. That beautiful statement where it says, God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's in that setting that we read this in Revelation chapter 22, the first verse. Then the angel showed me the river of water of, of, showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle street of the, in the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. We'll continue in just a moment, but that is creation restored. That is redemption accomplished. Though many have gone out on a limb to be very dogmatic about what the tree of life means in this sense, I'm not going to do that other than to say life is beautiful. People are thriving. People are flourishing. Sin is not in the picture, nor is temptation. What a beautiful picture. Verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. As I said, this beautiful picture in Revelation is the end goal of redemption, of our salvation, in which there is no longer a curse that's gone, in which the redeemed Live in the presence of God. Worship God. Worship the Lamb. The old has passed and truly the new has come. And I'll say it one more time. People are flourishing. They're thriving. All has been made new. That right there contained in those couple of chapters or four chapters technically in the beginning and the end of your Bible basically sums up the entire Bible and everything in between. Would you believe that the Lord uses the imagery of a tree of life in regards to our words? Not the tree of life, but a tree of life. There is a powerful Image, we, we encounter a tree of life right in the middle of your Bible as well. 
And that's in the book of Proverbs. So I do invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 4. By seeking to contextualize these words, I think we understand what the Spirit is speaking to us. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 4 says this. A gentle tongue, or a gracious tongue, is a tree of life. But, contrast, perverseness or coarseness in it breaks the spirit. Let's begin with the second half. What I was getting at earlier is I think most of us can readily identify with words that we would feel have just broken our spirit. We feel defeated. We feel discouraged. We feel worthless. And we live haunted by those thoughts. And we frame our life based on a lie that someone spoke to us or about us. There can be no doubt of the power of words. But that's not really where I want to park out this morning. I want us to hang out at the first part. A gentle, gracious tongue is a tree of life. Now, saints, this is the Old Testament. It was written in Hebrew. It was written by Jews, obviously. Every Jew reading the Word of God, every Jew reading this, fully understand the significance and the meaning of tree of life. It was something that they were introduced to briefly way at the beginning and not since. But saints, the words that we use have the power and the impact equal to, if you will, a tree of life. That which is life-giving, that which is refreshing, that which enhances and enriches the lives of people around us so that they can thrive so that they can flourish. The tree of life, or a tree of life, that imagery is used by Solomon throughout the book of Proverbs. We are told in the book of Proverbs that wisdom is a tree of life, which kind of makes sense. I mean, that's kind of the basis of his whole collection of sayings God's wisdom true wisdom based upon premised upon built upon the fear of the Lord it's a tree of life why well because you're walking in the fear of the Lord you're walking in the goodness of God 
Remember, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if you are a wise person and you are building your life on the wisdom of God, of necessity, that which is in here now is going to come out here, as Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so now, rather than being, forgive my my being dramatic here, but rather than being an agent of death, you become an agent of life. You become an agent of encouragement and comfort and help and godly perspective with the ones with whom you interact. Proverbs also tells us that the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, when we walk in the fear of the Lord, when we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, as Colossians says, and walk in the same, we become a tree of life to those around us. Why? Well, because we know the truth. We speak the truth. We temper the truth by speaking the truth in love. And we look to build others up, not tear others down. Because there is no competition with others when we're all kneeled at the foot of the cross or the throne of the Lamb. A tree of life is also described when the desires of our hearts when in alignment with God, come to pass. Come to pass. A tree of life. Life-giving. Edifying. Encouraging. Truth-telling. Building up. So this is our little thesis for today. A wise person knows the weight of his or her Words and uses them accordingly. Notice I'm not coming and slapping you on the wrist saying, stop doing that, stop saying that, because it's, it's much deeper than that. It's being aware, being knowledgeable, being self-aware of the power and the impact of the words that we speak. And stewarding that privilege accordingly. Knowing that what we say and how we say it matters. Quick side note. I'm not talking about speaking things into existence. I'm not talking about walking around saying you're a millionaire. You're a millionaire. You're a billionaire. I've spoken it. And here we are. That's not what we're talking about. The simple reality of the power of what we say, particularly with those that we love. It is an awareness of the impact of our words and a determination to use them for the purpose of building other people up. I could end right there, but I would like to take you to the New Testament because, again, I want us to see that this concept is not just a a, um, 
self-standing little statement by Solomon, but it is ingrained in the fabric of Scripture. Turn to your right to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We've said on many occasions, Paul has this flow of thought in which he will speak or teach doctrine and theology and then there'll be a hinge or a connect in which he says, okay, now in light of this theology, this is how you are to live. And certainly that is the case in the book of Ephesians. Three chapters of beautiful, rich, God-honoring, Christ-exalting, gospel-rich theology. And then Paul says, in the beginning of chapter 4, in the very beginning, he says, Well, therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to work in a manner worthy of your calling. Right? So now we're talking, this is the practical application part in Ephesians. In light of who you are in Christ, in light of what God has done for you, as Evgeny prayed, in light of our justification, this is how we live or seek to live it out. Um, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. When you think of your words... When you think of your conversations, this is what we should be thinking about. There is, once again, a contrast in this verse. Don't do this, but I love how Scripture so often doesn't just say, stop doing this, but it says, well, start doing this. You know, replace the old with the new, right? Replace the death and destruction with life and comfort and encouragement. So let's break it down. You are now a Christian. You are blood-bought. You are loved unconditionally. You are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You have a future in in front of you that no one can take away, by the way. You have an an inheritance which is laid up in heaven for you. Stop living like you used to. Stop living like the world. Stop being anything like them, if you will. But live as a believer in Christ. Let no corrupting talk. As some of you were told when you were younger, no means no, no, right? None, zero. We're not aiming for maybe some of it, but he says, no, none. This is not a part of your life tapestry anymore. And yes, we work towards that goal with God's help and with God's grace. So stop saying things that are mean, hurtful, degrading, immoral. That's perhaps who you used to be and not who you are anymore. But, there's a contrast. Only, only, that which is good for 
building people up, for encouraging, for helping, for comforting, for speaking the truth in love. That's what we are called to. I referenced it, but go back to the beginning of the chapter, chapter 4. I'm just going to read verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner, that's doulos, I'm sorry, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This great hope is now yours in Christ. Now live it out. He says, I am appealing to you. In light of the goodness of God, the grace of God, the wonderful things that God has gifted you with. That is the the frame of reference that Paul has. And so that's what he's saying here in verse 29. Only say those things which will build others up. Now here's where self-control and a little wisdom come into play. As fits the occasion. Right? You're speaking to what is right before you. That is needed. And the end result is that it may give grace to those who hear. That is a powerfully packed little statement in God's word. There's a lot there. And may we confess together that we have a ways to go in living this out. Right, My job is to show you how to live. Right, My job is to say, look at how good God is. This is what we're all aiming towards. I'm not beating you up with my Bible on your forehead. I'm simply showing you this is very important. Notice the context, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What is he saying, rather obviously and not so subtly? If you are living in contrast to what he's saying, you are grieving God himself who is living inside of you. The Holy Spirit is our inheritance, the promise of the inheritance given to us, living in us. Let us not grieve him by careless, reckless, degrading speech. Amen? All right, one more. James chapter 3, to your right. We're going to look at different authors this morning. You might know that uh, James chapter 3 is kind of a flagship section in God's Word regarding the power of the tongue and the evils that we all know we can create and the chaos we can create with our words and the harm that we can do. And there's lots In this chapter, we will look down to some of his concluding thoughts in verse 9. Speaking of our tongue, I mean, just for reference, earlier in the chapter, he talks about the rudder of a ship, you know, big ship, little rudder that guides the whole ship. Uh, And the bit in a horse's mouth, this huge majestic animal that is controlled by this little, little, little bit in his mouth. In the same way, he says, your tongue. Oh, don't underestimate the power of your tongue. It might be one of the smaller members of your body. But oh, oh, he says, the fires that are set on, the things that are set on fire of hell by your tongue. 
verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things mm-mm, mm-mm, ought not to be. Notice the precision of God's word. He says, we bless our Lord and Father. Most of us have that down pat, especially in public. Sometimes pomp is words, you know, blessing and praising God. And that is good as long as it's sincere. But when we speak to people, when we speak to our neighbor, oh, the tune can change very quickly. Completely different frequency, in fact. He says to speak in that way to your neighbor? No. And if that is not self-obvious enough by itself, just him saying that, look at what he says. Who are made in the likeness and the image of God. The imago Dei. The image of God. As we bless him, may we do the same. Not worship, obviously, but may we do the same with those around us. The power of our words. This is the word for today. Watch your mouth. But not in an angry, reflective way. But be thoughtful. Be considerate. Be aware of the power of your words in the lives of people around you. Use your words accordingly. Edify and build up those around you. Uh, There is another beautiful verse. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6. If you could turn there briefly. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious. An alternate translation entitled things that you never read in your Bible would say this. Sometimes when you're in a good mood, when things are going your way, let your speech be gracious. But that's not what it says. Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt. Salt is a preservative. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Know the power of your words. Whether you are engaging a brother or a sister in Christ, whether you are engaging someone on the outside, whether you are engaging, particularly when when you're engaging someone close to you, gracious and seasoned, with salt. Scripture tells us, New Testament, to speak the truth in love. Saints, we need this. We need it from those around us. 
Let's just be honest. Right? We need it from those around us. So let us be, in the fullest sense, the body of Christ that builds one another up, as Scripture says, in love. Know the weight and the impact of your words and use them accordingly. As I suspect for most of us, there is room for repentance in this. Let us do so and determine and resolve to honor the Lord and honor those around us with our words. Let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer. As you consider the goodness of God to you, as you consider the wonderful inheritance that is laid up in heaven for you as a follower of Christ, give due consideration to your words, to things that you say. We all need some improvement in this area, and so I commend it to you as something to ask the Lord for his help, mindfulness as well as execution in how you steward the words that you say to one another. Do not forget the underpinning of this, which is the goodness of God, the love that God has for you, the mercy he has shown you, the grace he has given you. This is not a legalistic sermon to just stop it and do better. But give due consideration and remember and exult in the goodness of God to you and resolve yourself to be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise. We worship you. You are truly the only one worthy of our worship. Thank you for the old rugged cross. Thank you for our Savior who upholds all things by the word of his power, who humbled himself lived among us, submitted himself not only to death, which was not normal for him, but death on a cruel Roman cross. Indeed, a bloody mess on that coarse wooden instrument of torture and death. Thank you for the blood of Jesus which speaks a better word than all my failures, all my sin. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life, those who have fled and turned in repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing and trusting that he died for me, for my sins, was buried and rose again. And putting our confidence in him and no other and no one else, nothing else. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel, the power of the gospel. And our prayer is always, if there is but one among us who has not put their faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation, in which they admit and acknowledge the obvious. And trust the Lord Jesus for their salvation. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.